0: We live in the world, which is headed and run by the prince of the power of the air. But we live by the Spirit, discerning the times. For he who is spiritual discerns all things. Sharpen your discernment. Build your faith. Listen to the Word and world team. Minister the Word of God through conversational theology, piercing the darkness of this present evil age.
1: Silence. Okay. okay, well, this is Politics Friday, and uh, <laughs> it's normally Coach Bob and Hampton keith with me, but Ken Boa is joining us today, and uh, well, Bob's going to lead us, and we're going to make commentary.
2: Okay, so here's where we were last time, Hampton. If you remember, we're using... <clears throat> David Van Drunen as our guide for this section of our Politics Friday. And what we're trying to establish is the biblical basis for human government. Mm -hmm. And then we'll take some further steps. What's the basis of American government? And then we'll be able to analyze the politics that are going on around us. But we're just laying this biblical foundation first so that we And our listeners have a biblical grid through which to think about these issues. Okay, so the first time we talked about government being legitimate, but provisional. In other words, it's ordained by God. You'll find just direct commands in Scripture, in Romans, for instance, to obey the government. Of course, that comes with the implied caveat. (laughs) If the government's telling you to do immoral things... You probably ought to rethink that. But basically, the government is a force for good. It punishes evil in a general sense. So human government's legitimate, but it's provisional in that it's for the meantime. In other words, when Jesus returns, all governments will be subject to him. So human government as it stands now is not necessarily a means towards God's salvific ends, it's a means towards limiting evil, really. So we have concluded so far that it's legitimate, but it's provisional. Second, it's common in the sense that it's it's worldwide. It's for everybody. There's no one who's not underneath some governmental authority, whatever shape or form that takes, but... It's accountable. God holds governments accountable for suppressing evil. If they promote evil, he judges them. There's hardly a better example of that in all of history than Sodom and Gomorrah. So governments are common, but they're accountable. They're legitimate, but they're (laughs) provisioned. So what we wanted to get into today was the Noahic covenant. Because the Noahic covenant actually provides the groundwork, the substrate, for thinking through all these things. So I thought it best if we just start reading the scriptures. This is Genesis chapter 9, where God institutes this covenant with Noah. Now, you know what just previously happened. What? God had... (laughs) God had... Wiped out the world's population down to eight people on account of violence. Right? So now he's talking to Noah after the flood. So this is Genesis chapter 9. And God blessed Noah and his sons. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the terror of you shall be on every beast of the earth on every bird of the sky, with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea, into your hand they are given. Every morning, every moving thing that's alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely I will require your life blood from every beast I will require and from every man From every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. As for you, be fruitful and multiply. Populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, Now behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you with your descendants after you, with every living creature that's with you, the birds and the cattle, and every great beast of the earth with you. Of all that comes out of the ark, even every beast of the earth, establish my covenant with you. So that's the Noah covenant. So let's think through that. And I'm going to use, again, as I've mentioned, Van Drunen as our guide. So I'm going to point out what he has pointed out about this covenant for us to think about and its application towards thinking through the biblical concept of human government. First, Van Drunen says, the Noahic covenant is universal. This applies to everybody. This is mankind. Mankind is the image. Mankind rules over the earth. Second, the Noahic Covenant is preservative. God's purpose is not to provide salvation from evil, right? He does not talked about that in the Noahic Covenant. He's given instructions on what to do, right? But to sustain and maintain the world and human society in it, despite the abiding presence of evil, it constrains evil. It doesn't save evil. From evil, the third characteristic of the Noahic covenant is that God put it into place temporarily, and the end, like the lease on the earth, is up. <laughs> its terms come to an end when Jesus returns and establishes the new heavens and the new earth. Right, then this this covenant no longer applies, but until then, it applies, and we are in the time in which it applies. So let's think through some more aspects of this covenant. The first aspect of the Noahic ethic is to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. That is, procreation should lead to a great increase in the human population, and the increase in the population should lead to people spreading out through the world. If we're going to have dominion over the earth, we've got to recreate to do that. One, one person cannot rule over the earth by himself, right? We're not omnipresent like the Lord is. So, so we need a, a large population to do that. So the first command is just like the command he gave Adam and Eve, multiply, fill the earth. Second, The second aspect of this, of the Noahic ethic, involves God giving plants and animals for humans to eat. With the caveat, no eating meat with its lifeblood. On the face of it, the fact that God gives animals and plants for food makes it sound as though it promulgates no moral requirement at all. But this divine gift of food obviously does not come in pre-made packages ready to be taken out of the refrigerator. Eating requires work. So there's a whole process everybody has to go through in order to eat. I know I know you drive up to Mickey D's and get your cheeseburger and so on. It's boy, it seems so easy. But there is a lot of work to provide that cheeseburger. And I know you hardly ever get what you actually order at those drive-up things. The third and final aspect of the Noaic ethic calls human beings to shed the blood of those who shed human blood, right? So it, it's a justice thing. It's, it's mandating no murder. If you strike down the image of God, you should be struck down. So it, it's proper to conclude this third aspect of the Noaic ethic, implies a general human responsibility to administer proportionate retributive justice in response to the harm that one person afflicts upon another, whether or not that harm involves literal bloodshed. So let's think about it this way. What, in order to live under the Noahic covenant that's universal for, for every human being on earth, What kinds of institutions do we need to abide appropriately under that covenant? Well, here's how Drunen words it. With respect to the first aspect of the Noahic ethic, what sort of institutions or associations are necessary to promote the task of being fruitful, multiplying, and filling the earth. The answer is easy. Familia institutions. To be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth demands an interconnected set of activities, particularly the procreation, nurture, and training of children. What's needed is not
0: just a proper context for sexual intercourse, but also a
2: setting in which adults can care for the children procreated and teach them how to live productively in the world. These institutions serve as forums for sexual intercourse, procreation, and the nurture and training of children are precisely what we call families. So the kind of institutions you need to abide by the Noahic covenant are family institutions for the the first aspect of it.
1: Yeah, I don't think it, people it, really it, think of the Noahic Covenant um, as, you
2: know, emphasizing the importance of family. Yeah, correct. Correct. I, I don't think people think of it that way either. You know, this is a, a slight tangent, but it's it's interesting. So, don't uh, think less of me than you should, Hampton. Okay. But, I've boy, I was standing somewhere the other day, I was in town, these kids were, you know, these kids and I were walking the same direction. And uh, I'll tell you, every other word out of their mouth was the F word. And I, I often wonder when, when people say that, you know, number one, it's just reflecting the, the sin in our own hearts, really. Your speech just reflects what's in your heart, you know, and trashy speech like that just reflects a trashy heart. But I often wonder, in addition to that, do people really know the, the etymology of that word? It's kind of interesting. It, it relates almost to you, to your observation. The F word is an acronym.
3: Yeah, I know that one. Uh, okay. You're right, Ken? For unlawful yeah. carnal knowledge.
2: Yes. Yeah, so, you know, when they put you yeah. in the stocks <laughs> and you sit there, you know, with your hands up, your heads in the hole, you know, and they would write your crime over your head. And that crime was too long to write out, so they would just abbreviated it, as Ken said, for unlawful carnal knowledge. That's how we got really the F word. Yeah. I've never,
1: I've but, never what, heard of that. but
2: but think of what they're they're saying with that, right? The lawful place for intercourse is within marriage. Purpose is, is to have children they would consider it unlawful to have relationships outside of the family confines. that That's how old and stodgy our culture used to be, right? Right. But that's the etymology of that. Your, your point's well taken, Hampton. It, most people don't think through the, the Noahic basis mandating the family. But, but all the institutions that support that, so education, for instance, Right. That that all really comes under that large rubric. With regard to the second aspect of the Noahic ethic, what institutions or associations are required to feed a growing population and to provide for its other material needs? And Van Drunen labels that enterprise associations. So you've got family uh, structures. Now you've got business structures really all stemming from the Noahic covenant, right? Getting food isn't, it's easy for us only because we've got a successful, established society around us. If we didn't, boy, you're out there hunting and gathering 24 seven, just about to stay alive, right? I was
1: was reading something, backtrack just a bit about dominion. I was reading something yesterday and it was talking about if somebody from three hundred years ago was transported to our time and they saw that we could go into our house when it was hot and turn on the air conditioning. Yeah. Or go into our house and turn on the heater and how clean our air was and I don't have to breathe smoke when I'm trying to heat my house because I'm not using a fire. You know, and and there are so many, or, or like you're talking about with food, we've got these large farms that feed thousands. Yeah. And and so there's been a lot of dominion just in the last couple hundred years. Things kind of stayed the same for ages. Anyway, that was just kind of point. I it wasn't pointing out our dominion over the earth. It was just bringing up those ideas, and I I kind, of, kind of related it to the dominion idea.
2: Well, I did, and I think so exactly. I remember one time I was uh, visiting your great state of Texas, and I'm sitting on this guy's porch in the backyard and watching his kids play, and they're practicing Dominion. Right? They had built a little village. Right? Here's the post office. Here's you know they're doing it out of sticks and stones. But it was so fun for them to quote play at that. But that isn't so natural for a human being to exercise dominion over the earth. That's what we were created to do. Good development, I think, is fantastic. Bad development, you know, that that can be a problem for the environment, but good development is what we should be doing. So, back to Van Drunen. Finally, what institutions or associations are necessary to fulfill the third aspect of the Noahic ethic? That is to bring justice against destructive people who harm fellow human beings and thus hinder the work of familial and enterprise associations. That's our legal system, anybody's legal system. That's the judicial branch of anybody's government. So you've got familial institutions, you've got enterprise institutions, you've got legal institutions, all strongly, I would say, implied by the noahic Covenant. So one of the things we often say, Hampton, Ken, see if you like this. The way I say it is, when you have a being that's omniscient and omnipotent, there is no plan B. (laughs) Right? Right? Plan A, and he sticks with plan A all the way through when you have those two dominant characteristics. So his plan for mankind to rule the earth as his image. And that plan is gonna move inexorably forward until you get the ultimate manifestation of that where mankind in the form of Jesus Christ rules on his throne from Jerusalem over the earth. In the meantime, we're underneath the Noahic covenant and we're, we're fulfilling our mandate. Every, every person is believer or non-believer. We're all human. All humans are fulfilling that mandate in that way. The government is legitimate, but it's provisional. It's common, but it's accountable. And the way a covenant provides the basis for all this stuff. So the next thing you see in the scriptures really is, um, you know, after Noah and something and so on, and you get the table of nations in chapter 10, then pretty soon you're introduced to Abraham. There you start dealing with a different covenant, the Abrahamic covenant and so on. And and we'll go into that at a later time. Today, we're just sticking with the Noahic covenant. But what you begin to see is Abraham interacting with human governments under the Noahic covenant all the time, right? He's dealing with Abimelech, He's dealing with the Shechem, Gerar, all those places have governments. He's making covenants with them. He's buying property from them. All of that's legitimate in the sight of God. So even though what we're drawing out are the implications of the Noahic covenant, they're they're there, they're strongly implied. and, And God thinks that's legitimate, but provisional. He thinks it's common, but accountable. Now, Hampton, as we talked about last time, I don't want to go down this rabbit trail because I know how easy it is for you to push my buttons. Some people think it's, it's not all that common. It's common for you and me, but it's not common for them, right? So, for instance, when you write uh, Obamacare, oh, those people who wrote that, it doesn't apply to them. They're not going to have Obamacare. Me, you and I are, but they're not. Right. So what we're doing now is just laying the biblical foundation for thinking through all those these things. So it's not just a, a knee jerk reaction to when we see stuff on our TV today, for instance, and then we get upset because that doesn't agree with our point of view. I, I'm not trying to solve those issues. What I'm trying to do is provide the framework for which to begin thinking through all those things in a biblically mature way. So that's about as far as I was going to cover today, as far as our explicit material. Any thoughts or comments?
3: Yeah, let me, um, I've not been part of the uh, former discussion, um, but obviously when we go to Genesis chapter 1, you have the fundamental foundation for our purpose on this world in terms of this mandate that God has granted to us. Uh, in so far as the uh, idea in Genesis one twenty-six, let us make man in our image. So being image bearers and the intriguing idea of what that means of having dominion over these spheres of the fish and the, the birds, the cattle and the earth and then the idea of being created in, our own, in his image. <clears throat> in the image of God, he created a male and female, so it takes both the masculine and the feminine to constitute the image of God, which is a profound mystery of unity and diversity, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So what's interesting about this idea is that you have a, a, a foundation for stewardship for um, an ecological understanding that actually precedes the uh, Noahic covenant, but is based upon this a whole idea of three components Components. One is dominion, but the second one is stewardship, which is intriguing because they were because it is God's creation, therefore they will be accountable. And so uh, responsible stewardship then means that uh, we are given an accountability, that it is God's wor- world that we are called to not just to exploit, to, but to be stewards. And then fecundity or fruitfulness is the third component. And you can see a parallel with this in the Noahic Covenant. Because you have the idea of having a dominion, um, a divinely mandated dominion over all things. And yet at the same time, it's a responsible dominion that should lead to uh, to fruitfulness, to uh, well-being. And in my mind, by the way, those three components put together provide the most robust understanding of what uh, uh, ecology ought to be. That
2: uh, no, no question, Ken. I think you think about this to your second point, the fecundity you know, in the earth, the stewardship of the earth and so on, Adam is made from the earth.
3: Yes, Adam. That's right. I Mm -hmm. mean,
2: that connection is just as strong as could be.
3: Yeah. So this very concept then is that uh, from the earth, you've come from the earth and you will go back to the earth, you know, and that's where we get the whole idea on on Lent, you know, the the whole idea of... uh, the imposition of the ashes um, is from d- 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 dust to dust. Um, yeah. And yet at the same time, when, I, when I've done these things before, I've had the um, remember that you are dust and to dust you will return. I kind of don't like that entirely, though, because there's a bit of a curse involved in that. So I now say, <laughs> remember that you are mortal in this earth and that you are mortal in the next. And now I have the, the, the memento mori of why you're doing this. Remember that you're mortality, but at the same time, the positive component is that you are eternal in the next life. And so we have these dimensions that are being added. But going back to this idea of the, of the covenants, though, it seems to me that there's a very clear parallelism uh, between this. And I know you're going to be talking about these various covenants as well. So. Uh, but uh, this is just intriguing—the idea of the Noachic covenant, and then you're going to be looking at the Abrahamic covenant, and as an, in, an unconditional covenant that will actually have a bearing on um the implications of the. uh Wait, let me just get this correct here. Sorry about that. Um, that this will actually um, be an unconditional covenant that will then ultimately be fulfilled, and then the so-called Palestinian, which has to do with the land, the. Uh, Davidic, which has to do with the seed, and then the new covenant, which has to do with uh, then the um, the blessings that will be extended throughout the world. So the beauty that you're describing here again is an unconditional covenant that's going to continue on into the kingdom, and that's I think what you're trying to describe.
2: That's a, that's exactly right. That that's the large framework through, through which framework. All these things yeah. ultimately mm-hmm. are understood. One one little tidbit on that. I'm sure you know this, Ken. What's the name of the prominent newspaper in Jerusalem? Isn't um, isn't it isn't it Ha'aretz?
3: I thought it was Ha'aretz, but I wasn't sure. you And ended, yeah. and so
2: what's what's that mean? Yeah. The The lamb, right? The 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 lamb. Yeah, that's why I don't, I don't,
3: I don't like the Palestinian covenant name, by the way, for that very reason, because it was a pejorative term by the Romans about the Philistines. And so it's never used in scripture. I never use the word Palestine because it's never used in scripture. It's an interesting <laughs> thing. I still remember seeing Ben Hur when it first came out. Palestine, and it w- <laughs> but uh, it's not Palestine. It was uh, it was it was the uh, the the land of Israel, um, but if, before that, Canaan. So I wish it, did, it would just been called Can- Land Covenant and be done with it. But you're right. Are it yeah. is the land. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. But, they, they, but they, that's right. So just once again, what we're doing is laying the found work to understand the significance of politics today it's it's not to rant and rave i'll do i can do that on my own Uh, i'm sure i'll do that hampton (laughs) will push some of my buttons but it's really we're all we'll, we'll never escape being teachers and uh, that's my purpose: is to lay a groundwork to think through these things in a biblically mature way.
3: Yeah, you're dealing with really a worldview issue, and that's, as it comes exactly down to right. this, the worldview, which and the biblical worldview, which speaks about that fecundity about the male and the female, and Jesus Himself referring back to the uh, pre. Pre-fall conditions. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and so he makes it very, very clear then that there is a biblical uh, mandate from the very beginning for the covenant of marriage, for the co- for the idea of procreation, for being fruitful, and that's been now, as we well know, disassociated from that in uh, political uh, themes. Yeah,
2: that's exactly right. And so you you can treat you will see exactly those things. Uh, in our political conversations in America today, right? The family will be attacked. It'll be redefined. Sure. Those are all ultimately attacks on the scripture. It's so, a worldview
3: issue. It always comes down to that worldview. Mm-hmm.
2: And, and that's, as we've discussed before, Ken and Hampton, you know that worldview is my predominant uh, method of understanding the Christian faith as a, I see Christianity as a worldview. I, I think that's so
1: helpful. When we well, get to issues like capital punishment the Noahic Covenant. Who Pretty clear. Human blood, by other humans, must <laughs> yeah. be blood be yeah. shed. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty <know>. clear. <laughs> so, right. Romans 13. Right. And, and think of even
2: why that is, right? It is because of what Ken was emphasizing. Man is the image of God. When you strike down a man, you are directly striking at God.
3: so it has to do with the foundation then for what we describe as good and evil and when you in a postmodernity when you uh, disconnect from that realm it becomes then the uh, uh, subjective opinions of of the masses and but, but but that's picked up really from the clues and the cues of a culture that's kind of turned away from That mindset. But it makes complete sense that people uh, will not naturally, in their natural state, want to submit to God's uh, provisions. There's a a natural, uh, built-in rebellion, a a pushback against the uh, purposes of a a, a being that they don't want to be accountable to. I
1: was reading uh, last week in Homosexuality and the guy makes the statement, he's trying to do away with the dishonorable passions in Romans one twenty six, and he makes the statement, culture decides what is honorable, right. not yeah. God. Yeah, okay.
3: yeah. so what's, it comes down to your authority. It always does. It comes down to what's yeah. the authority for truth? At the end of the day, either the world will judge the word or the word will judge the world. But you, but That's a great way to say it. One yeah. will one will eventually win out. So your 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 big beginning point, you know, your presuppositions determine your uh, perspective, and then your perspective shapes your priorities, and that'll affect your practice. And so it's top down thinking rather than bottom up. Maybe
2: that could be our byline or subtitle for the company name. <laughs> that's right. Well, it's, it's so fun having Ken the theologian because he'll he'll express things, you know, in, in such a way that it's so beautifully thought out. I'm a guy of the street. So, you know, Ken will say either the world will judge the word or the word will judge the world. I tend to say, I wonder how that's going to go down <laughs> in God's
3: courtroom. But, but,
2: but, when you stand before him and yeah. run that past him, you let
3: uh, me know how, yeah, how at, he at, likes that. How he likes that. At the end of the day, though, it, it really, a worldview is based upon the basic assumptions about life. And mine would be that God has revealed himself decisively in the word and that there is a God and he's revealed himself. That that affects everything. We have to think of it from a top-down perspective by looking at that. And then your priorities and your practice will then come out, come out of that. Yeah. yeah. Sorry for the for rabbit yeah. I'm very good with rabbit trails.
2: Well that's great because I there's nothing more fulfilling to me, I mean, seriously now, than theological conversation. And that that fans my flames. So I appreciate you guys being here. Thank you for your thank, input. And how you. about we close this this thank, time with okay. a little prayer? Okay. Okay.
1: okay.
2: Lord It's our desire to be mature in your sight. Babes only for a while, but then grown up. So we wanna think biblically. We wanna see the world through your eyes. Help us towards that end as we endeavor to understand the craziness of the politics in America. In Jesus' name,
3: amen. Amen.
0: Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect.